Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball, where we bring you the world's game from an American perspective. How refreshing. I'm Kevin Flynn, alongside Syria Ah, guru and soccer journalist, producer Sam Griswold, and media executive, the mighty mighty of the midfield, Grail Hallett. Today, as always, OTB is brought to you by Soccer America and Ticket IQ. Today's guest on OTB, a friend of the show, good man, a rising star in the soccer broadcasting world from being sports, their play-by-play man, an analyst, the studio host, Eric Krakauer, will be uh, here to join us on the show. Kind of a La Liga guru. Sam, you're our Syria A guru. And Grail, I don't know what you are, just a guru, I guess. You gotta, <laughs> we got to find something for you. A guru of nothing. So, hey, guys, uh, the soccer world is opening up uh, this week. And, you know, Bundesliga has been on for a little while, but we got all kinds of news to catch up to for people uh, out there. We'll get to all that, especially La Liga with Eric. You know, he knows that so well. Um, but first, before we get all that started and sorted out, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Grail? Well, I am over continuing to talk about the return of soccer and being able to celebrate the return of soccer. So uh, I'm, I'm delighted. I, I, I was somebody, uh, full transparency, I was somebody who just said a couple months ago that we should probably just cancel the season and move on mm-hmm. till the fall or whatever. But uh, now that it's back, I'm the first to admit I'm very excited. Sam, so. I have a feeling Grail was just cowering in his closet, just mumbling the words Chelsea over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> I was holding my Chelsea stuffed animal. With your, with your, with your scarf and everything. <laughs> I'm with you, Grail, actually. I, I mean, I'm excited for the leagues to come back too, but I, a month ago, thought, and maybe still think, you know, it would be best just to let them go. But it's hard not to be excited at the same time. You know what I'm over, guys? I'm over uh, the fact that people won't wear a mask. Please, just wear a mask. It's a simple thing. I I want everybody to wear a mask. It's not a political thing. I just want them to wear a mask so we can watch soccer again, so we can get back to business again. Um, It it cuts down the rate of infection big time if everybody just wears a mask. And it was reminding me, I was reminded of it last night because I was watching that Seinfeld episode where they're like, why don't you wear the ribbing? Why don't you wear the ribbing? You know, it was the game arch and... And uh, he wouldn't wear the ribbon. Croatian not marcher. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that, but he'll, no, that's kind of a. It was a Hispanic kind of a, what a that Hispanic was. man. Why don't you wear the ribbon? Why don't oh, you that, wear the ribbon? Well, that, now you're going into Scarface. <laughs> voila, voila! Look at you! Look at the pelican! Fly, pelican! <laughs> so uh, that's what I'm over. Just wear the mask so we can all get back to normal as soon as possible. I said and, I was the same. My dad went to the Korean War at 17 years old to fight on the front lines. The least I could do is wear a mask to uh, protect my fellow Americans. And by the way, Flinny, when, when fans do return, whenever that is, it's gonna be mandatory, at least over in Europe, that everybody has to wear a mask or they will not be allowed entry into a stadium. I guarantee you that right. that will be a mandatory requirement for, and, and maybe temperature check. I think both actually over there. I don't right. know about here. Right, well, you know, if you, at the first line of the defense, so all right guys so things are starting wait i didn't, uh, so I, didn't get to say what, I didn't get to say what oh I you didn't yeah i have oh, a little I, bit of a rant i thought you were i thought you were just kind of agreeing with grail oh, i thought no, that was no. your rant oh no 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 all right, right. what do you got let's bro? Let sam go i love oh. when sam gets wound up it rarely happens <laughs> so i know we're going to talk about this later when we get to the bundesliga but Bayern clinched their eighth straight title um over this past weekend wow. and uh I'm just simply over anyone saying how incredible this is and celebrating this, saying how they faced adversity and everything this year. I mean, there are some good storylines. They did get off to a slow start. 
I mean, you know, their coach came in in November. Hansi Flick had a great run. Alfonso Davies' emergence has been great. But, I mean, give me a break. I mean, this team is so superior to everyone in Germany. I just don't think this is something we should be celebrating, you know, a team winning eight titles in a row. Uh, I'll go a little further. According to the website, transfermarket.us, right, which tracks the market value of clubs um, in Europe yeah. and all over the world, uh, the difference in market value between Bayern and the closest club to them, Dortmund, is 188.25 million. So that's by far the biggest gap in all the top four leagues. For comparison, the difference between Man City and Liverpool is 5 million, between Real and Barcelona is 33 million, and between Juventus and Inter is 68 million. So more than twice the second closest yeah. league. And those top. are the top teams, not. Not to Sam. mention the bottom, the whole, the whole league there. So Sam I have on a, on a 60 minute segment here. I have a quiz question for you guys right away, which is wow. I said top four leagues um, because I don't consider France to be a top league. I know some people do. Um, but again, <laughs> for comparison, can you guys guess what the uh, market value gap is between PSG and Lyon, who is the second um, has the uh, second highest market. I would, I would say it's pretty big. I'm pretty high, say, yeah. I'm going to say four. What was uh, – Bayern was uh, 100 million, is that? 188 million. Okay. I'm going to go with like 40 million. I'm going to say uh, 70 million because Grail hasn't been right in weeks. In all these <laughs> no, quizzes. Yeah, I've been terrible. The difference in France is 514.5 million. Oh my gosh. So another club that needs no celebrating when they win yet another championship. Now let me ask you this though. Now let me ask you this. So they talk about PSG really not having any competition during the course of the year. And it sort of softens them competitive wise Mm -hmm. when they're, when they move into the champions league. So uh, conversely, that doesn't really seem to affect uh, uh, Bayern Munich. Yes. Well, Bayern hasn't won in a while. Have they? No, they haven't, but uh, well, that's your point, I guess. It's, uh, well, I, I, maybe uh, maybe I, domestic competition it's, really tightens you. It's funny because I think of uh, when I think of PSG, uh, I, I think of them as being very separate from everybody else, much more so than Bayern Munich being right. totally separate. Because mm-hmm. I always feel like Dortmund, you know, you you always have a few Leipzig. You have a few teams that can actually compete with them, and I just feel like it's PSG and the rest of the and the rest of the league, basically. You know, just kind of so far below them yeah yeah i mean i don't know i think the gap that psg has is definitely holds them back in the champions league byron's is obviously less but i mean they haven't done that well in the champions league either for a while i mean pep was kind of brought in to win them a champions league he couldn't do it i just uh, the only thing that i'd counter with sam and i we might as well just talk about it because we're talking about bundesliga now is that uh, just because you have a good group of players doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a dominant team and so I've got to give I've got to give props to Hansi Flick by the way maybe the best name in soccer if you're named Flick could it be more I mean the only thing better could be Hansi Chip Um, but Hansi Flick brilliant and he's done a great job and again you know they've won 19 out of their last (laughs) 22 22 games 11 in a row Um, again you know none of this is easy even if you have a what you're saying Sam a stacked team so I'm willing to give Bayern a little bit more credit than you are since you're giving them no credit. Yeah. All right. Well, that was the La Liga review. Uh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Well, no, I mean, the Serie A review. Look, we'll talk about La Liga with, uh, with Eric Krakauer because he really has got that down. That's, uh, that's his uh, alley of expertise there. He does a great job of being sports 
he'll be fun to talk to. But uh, I'm going to pair him off against you, Sam, as our two gurus, Syria A against the La Liga guru, in a guru off. But uh, Yeah, and I'll chime in with the EPL, too, because you know and, I've got my personal opinions on that. And you'll just keep chanting Chelsea over and over. <laughs> uh, Sam, uh, what did you think? The Italian leagues returned to play with Coppa Italia in the final second legs last week. Yeah, it was good to see um, Coppa Italia getting going in soccer in general, getting going again in Italy. Um, so we had two games, the second legs of the uh, champions, sorry, the Coppa Italia semifinals. Um, Juve drew at home with uh, Milan 0-0, which was enough to get Juve through to the final. Um, and then Napoli and Inter drew 1-1 on Saturday in Naples, which sent Napoli through to the final. So um, today, actually, as we're recording on Wednesday at 3 p.m., um, Napoli-Juve for the final in Rome. Um, which has Napoli fans very excited. Um, Juve fans a little bit less. Seems like kind of a formality that they should win the Coppa Italia. But um, I thought the play was okay. I mean, you know, people understandably looked a little, um, you know, out of sync. Ronaldo in particular played terribly. He had a penalty saved also in that match. Um, I think my biggest wow. takeaway was uh, I heard far more yelling from the benches in these two matches than in any Bundesliga game I've seen so far, which seems very much in character with uh, Italian soccer in general. So uh, that provided at least a little bit of atmosphere on the sideline. How did, uh, how did the uh, five subs thing play out, Sam? Did any notice, notice about how that was used to, just to maybe rest guys to make sure they didn't get injured or well, late yeah, in games? It's or... interesting because Sadi for Juve subbed, um, I can't remember who it was, but he subbed three players at one time um, about midway through the second half um, and apologized actually after the game to his team and said he'd really made a mistake. He kind of got carried away and that it really unbalanced the game and, uh, and changed the kind of dynamic of it too much. Oh, we've all seen that in college soccer. My God, you know, platoons. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's yeah. that's a pretty basic thing for sorry to screw up. Yeah, you would think so. But I mean, uh, sounds like a bitter Chelsea woman right no, there. No, 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 no. But I mean, it's never a great idea to do mass substitutions. Yeah. yeah, players don't want to come out. Players want to get in. But I think what Sam was talking about, what sorry seemed to be referring to, is that it, it changes the rhythm. It really More. does. And I, I think that's why most – coaches when you only have the limited substitutions they they put a sub in at the, like the 72nd 75th minute because you know a quick player can have an impact or a defensive player can shut things down it's sort of the game you're kind of seeing it through uh not when the game is going to be changed mid-game midstream you know yeah, well, so, although if you have a lot of if you have a lot of depth you know like some of the big clubs it's just a matter of giving everybody some playing time so that everybody has you know match experience and uh you know, the big clubs just don't really drop in terms of their level of play because everybody's so damn good. That you're, well, and the depth charts one... so, so big. Uh, Sam, yeah. one thing you said I thought was interesting, not that you don't say many interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, a, an interesting thing. But I think, what a, you know, you lived in Italy for so long. Um, I played with a lot of Italian players, uh, Spanish players, uh, Germans, English. Everybody has their own way of talking during a game. The, the Germans are very clinical with it's, it's really always strategic and useful information. Mm -hmm. the, um, the, the English yell top of their lungs, but not that often, usually dropping a lot of F-bombs. Mm -hmm. um, I have found that the chatter and the Italian sort of culture itself is pretty much a nonstop. Yeah, absolutely. Nonstop complaining and like, oh my God, it's the worst. You know, <laughs> yeah, I really feel it's the worst. So, I do mean, you, I do think you agree? It, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think 
Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of complaining. I also think it adds a lot of atmosphere. Um, you know, as most recently when I was there, I was just playing seven-a-side soccer with a, a group of guys I connected with in Florence. And, um, I mean, there was almost a fight every game. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a little, it's a little crazy, but, I mean, it means so much to them, which is kind of fantastic. And, uh, you know, especially now when you're watching with empty stadiums, it's nice to kind of get the feeling that there's, I don't know, just that, that level of intensity that, you know, often the fans provide. And let's also give the Italians their fair due for flopping and uh, di diving and rolling because they've always been very good at being fouled and rolling 30 or 40 yards off the pitch. You know, you know Sam, dramatic Sam, way. Sam, you're talking about pickup games where, you know, the American culture is whether I played small sided soccer or pickup basketball, it was, you call your own fouls. And so, yeah. Well, you have a guy that, I'm not talking about pickup games. This was an organized oh. league that was, you know, reasonably oh. serious. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's different. Because if you do, if anything organized, people start to lose their minds because yeah. they're paying a registration fee. Yeah, that's exactly. why I like just small-sided pickup games. But it said, like, to question authority, you've always said, is really an Italian cultural norm. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, playing pickup basketball or, again, small-sided soccer, you call your own fouls. And... You always have the one guy who calls every foul. Yeah. Is there and also anything worse in a pickup game, guys, than the guy who repeatedly intentionally does handballs to stop plays? Right. Right? He can't make a defensive play, so he goes up and blocks it oh, with his yeah, hands. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything worse <laughs> in a pickup game than that guy? I played with a guy who would uh, – a small-sided game, just knocking it around on turf – on a breakaway situation, a couple of times holds the guy's shirt. And I'm like, dude, you, this is a pickup game. It's not, yeah. he goes, no, man, I want to win. I go, we all want to win, yeah. but you would be yellow or red carded. Now you'd be out of the game. So we all want to win, but we want to win playing fairly. He's like, no, nope, I want to win. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, did you make your high school team? There is pickup game etiquette, right? We all know that. There is certain etiquette you have to abide by. But then again, what I'm touching upon is the cultural differences. Yes. You know, I used to always say the, uh, the Latinos that I played with get very um, touchy about anything high, elbows, uh, that, you know, that way. Uh, yeah. The English, you're fine. The English are fine bumping up against them, you know, putting your, you know, your bows out, protecting the ball. Um, what the Latinos really get mad at is to get uh, uh, whacked in the legs. You know, that's the, yeah. uh, the mimicate sense there. Wait, the Latinos don't like the arms. They always say it's an elbow. And I was like, no, I'm just extending my arms. And then uh, the uh, English, it's like if you kick in the leg. So, it's and, like and how about the guys also, the, the guy, there are just a lot of guys who don't like heading the ball. So on bouncing balls, their legs will shoot up to head height because they don't want to actually just step into a ball and head it, right? You've got those guys too, limbs all over the place. Well, that's especially significant for you because you're 4'7". So. <laughs> well, it is true. That is true. <laughs> All right, so we've kind of covered the Bundesliga with Bayern, right? Um, a little I'll, bit. Just, I'll just throw in, sorry, for Serie A, yeah. it gets started again uh, on Saturday. So the league will be back in full swing. In fact, that was like a Chelsea rant right there. You came back to that moment. Um, <laughs> Bundesliga, Roma, Champions League, guys, it seems like it's uh, – I mean, the final's heading to Lisbon uh, with yeah. UEFA planning a, an August 23rd Final cap to seven broadcast nights in a 12-day span of elite European teams playing knockout soccer. I mean, what do you guys think of this? This is at least a decision, right? There, and that's, there's a lot of soccer. A lot of soccer, I mean, man, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm never having 
the fact that we haven't had any soccer, it's like talk about feast or famine. I, it, it's just going to be so much soccer over the next two plus months. I, I, it'll be interesting to see how these teams are going to juggle everything. And I think, you know, coaching is going to be at a premium in terms of how you're having your players ready as often as possible. It's going to be tough. Yeah. So we're looking at, they're going to be single game elimination from the quarterfinals in, in for the champions league, probably played in two stadiums in Lisbon. And then for the Europa league, um, probably some up to four stadiums in Germany with a similar deal. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else they can do. I mean, it seems like the best decision they could have made. Um, right. You know, it's funny. We were talking about Bayern and how they kind of should be considered the favorite for the Champions League, but they've just wrapped up the title now. And, you know, this isn't going to get going for a couple months now. So mm-hmm. they're now going to have the long layoff. So maybe the advantage that they had kind of slips away. So they also have a round of 16, right? Um, there are a few round of 16 un- games that they still have to finish, and it's unclear how those are going to happen. Yeah, they got to finish the Bayern-Chelsea match, which Chelsea's already losing 3-0. I think they should just give that to Bayern, actually. But, uh, yeah, a lot of juggling, Sam, right, to get all of this stuff done. I've got to say, for the people that are doing the scheduling, I'm very impressed, uh, especially yeah. if this all actually gets pulled off. And uh, how about this as a, a transition from Bundesliga to the EPL? Uh, Timo Werner ready to skip the Champions League with Leipzig to hook up with Chelsea. Uh, yeah, that's what he's indicated. He's he's willing to skip it and and join Chelsea in August. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable. I, I mean, look. I mean, I mean, Leipzig's in the Champions League. You know, that's yeah, Jesse Marsh's team. Yeah. Yeah, you know, again, as a Chelsea uh, supporter, I'm not complaining because it just means he comes here, you know, he gets over sooner and fresher and all that stuff, and he's totally focused on the new club. But uh, if I were his Leipzig teammates, I would not be thrilled by that. Yeah, Yeah. I wonder, you know, if we're going to see more of this too because a lot of guys are going to negotiate deals over the next month or so and, you know, maybe face with a similar decision. Um, Although Leipzig is not Jesse Marsh's team. Uh, that's Salzburg. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's, yeah, in, he's in the same, you know, Red Bull umbrella. Right. That's but, I was um, getting my Red Bulls confused because I had too many Red Bulls this morning. That was the, that was the problem. So what else with EPL? Graham? Well, so, yeah, it's coming back uh, today. Uh, the last match was March 9th. I mean, that seems like it was honestly like five years ago or something. Right. And we've got Aston Villa against Sheffield United. And then, and then the, the later game is uh, Man City versus Arsenal. Uh, I've got them Jack, both. Uh, that, that, that'll T-vote. be great. Do you say T-Vote yeah. anymore? Yeah. No. Well, no, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing the coverage on uh, NBC Sports Network. I love what they do. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works um, with them all kind of being remote at this point. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested just the, the fact that Liverpool is kind of, you know, Liverpool's won the league. I mean, nothing right. is going to prevent that them from getting the title. You know, just see how the other teams finish. You know, I think Man City has something to prove. They've got this Champions League ban hanging over their heads potentially in July. I think Pep is, has such incredible pride that they're going to want to go out there and just kick butt for the remainder of the season and, uh, you know, establish a strong second place. And then, you know, then for the other teams, it's top four, top six and avoiding relegation. So it's not like teams don't have something to play for. Right. Just a, a lot of games in a very short period of time. Sam, any thoughts? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's cool. I might check out. You want to share them? <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna, Sam has thoughts, but he's going to keep them to himself. I mean, I to was me, just to Sam, one story. To me, Sam, one story league, you've been following quite sorry, closely. To me, the Premier league, yeah, but to me, the Premier League yeah. narrative has been over since, you know, about January. But Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, but like, as Grail mentions, you know, and this is the interesting thing about promotion relegation, there's still a lot to play for, you know. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I'm hoping that uh, – Liverpool doesn't have an asterisk next to their name when, you know, on this year because of the COVID situation. So, uh, well, yeah. And the difference between top four and, and top six, those fifth and sixth places are just huge from a money standpoint. I don't and think everybody's, I think the way it played out Liverpool, I mean, it, they've already, you know, so decisively wrapped up the title that I don't think there's any asterisks. I mean, all these games are sort of yeah, immaterial. Yeah. No, I agree. Oh, no, no. I was with Sam. I was willing to give them the trophy if the season got shut down. You know, they, they proved it. I mean, the one disappointing part of their season is getting knocked out of the Champions League. Yeah. In such an odd way, too. Yeah. It, but that was... I think one story I'm watching, guys, is uh, Arsenal. It's been interesting to watch them, um, you know, with Teta there, you know, because He's like basically revived David Luiz's career, saying he needs his leadership, he needs his vision. I, I thought after he left Chelsea, David Luiz was kind of done and dusted in the Premier League, and yet he's. Uh, it seems like Arsenal is going to be a different team. Yeah, I think David Luiz actually has been a real problem for them, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. and, and if they could, they they still really need his center back on that team. They've got. I think Arteta is great, by the way. I think he's going to make them a competitive team once again, but they have glaring uh, gaps. And I just think Louise, you know, you know, he's, he's offense first defense last, frankly. And uh, it was all the stuff that used to scare me is when he played for Chelsea, it's kind of uh, coming, you know, coming to the Well, it's inconsistent, but I know Arteta came out and sort of said he's, we need him. We need him in the center of the park. So yeah. I thought that was interesting and because he's, taking a different approach and, and we'll see what happens. All right. So we don't have much time here, but I want to get to some U S soccer stuff. Uh, Grail, this is a story you've been following Cindy Parlow Cohn. Yeah. Uh, so she came out with a full throated apology um, to Megan Rapino about the, uh, the former Anthem policy, of course, which is mm -hmm. uh, standing for the Anthem. And she basically said it, it missed the point completely and it was never about the flag. So good on Cindy Parlow. Cohen, again, I think a fence-mending gesture. Again, you know, new management at U.S. soccer, they really need to sort out this ongoing contractual issue with U.S. women's national team. So I thought that was interesting. And then, and then on the flip side of that, you had uh, Republican Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who's got his own psychological issues. Oh, man. Who, uh, <laughs> who came out. Who and came a rich out, daddy, so he gets away with it all. Came out yeah. and objected to the legislation, you know, getting rid of the uh, of repealing 6041. Right. And, 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 he, and he wants that to be brought back. And it's, you know, it's just such a waste of energy. You got to laugh But when I first read that, the 604-1, I'm like, wow, he lost that vote big time. He, yeah, exactly. He really, and who was the one guy besides him that was him, apparently, who voted yeah, for well, himself? He's got, he's no, no great surprise. He's got Donald Trump in his, his, in his camp, who was also vocal oh, about saying he's no longer going to watch women's soccer. By the way, I'd like to, I'd like to basically track how much soccer women's soccer Donald Trump has ever watched. Yeah, maybe the World Cup final. But I know that his son Barron plays. And uh, yeah. 
supposedly playing. But also, you know, with what's going on in the country, uh, it's highlighting a bunch of, of things which aren't right, which need to be righted. And one of those things is the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors, a stunning lack of diversity, as you said, Grail. Yeah, no, no black members, uh, no black board of directors members. I think they've had two in the past 10 years or something. They've got uh, three Latinos and four women on the board. So that's, that's nice. But the fact that there is not a black board of directors in soccer is, is fairly stunning. So, you know, I, I just get the sense that that's going to be rectified very quickly. Right, um, right. And uh, yeah, they, they need to do some damage control because one of the Latino women is Charo. So I thought that was a misappropriation of the spot. Boy, you're taking yourself there. Chris <laughs> no, no, doesn't even know what we're talking about. There is not one listener who will have any idea who Charo is, but good. I say, say Shakira. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right. All right. We're getting, we're getting closer. Hey, we're, we're almost at the end here, but the U.S. men's national team. They might not play a match again until September uh, in a World Cup 2022 qualifier. Yeah, I mean, just Still the way the it's air. all working with this COVID schedule, um, they're going to be dormant again. Boy, I mean, if, if Berhalter didn't have a chance times, you can imagine what this is going to be like. And uh, at, at least we got some uh, some guys coming back from fitness. So. All right. You realize how much you miss this stuff. So, okay. So uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back with Bean Sports, Eric Krakauer. You're listening to Over the Ball. All right, our guest today on OTB is a soccer commentator and analyst for Bean Sports USA. Kind of a kind of a La Liga guru, but his most impressive credential to date is playing alongside Grail Hallett for the Manhattan Kickers. Welcome to the show, Eric Krakauer. Crack, how are you? <laughs> good. Great intro. I appreciated that last part. Uh, really good to be back with you guys. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. So I want to ask you: Has your has your back healed from carrying? Uh, Grail in the midfield every every Sunday <laughs> afternoon. You know, it's funny you should mention that. There's, there's, I have a memory of, of Grail on the playing field. He was playing center back, and he thought he had cover behind him, and uh, his left back passes him back the ball, and he decided to dummy, you know, step over the ball so that his other center back would get it. His other center back wasn't there. The forward gets the ball, scores the goal, <laughs> the winning goal for the other team. It was, it was a great moment, but for the most part, Grail, <laughs> Grail was a, an imperious center back for, for the kickers. Uh, a center back, crap. center back Thank is only, you. I think you have to be over five feet tall to be a center back, <laughs> don't you? My God. Uh, I mean, so, I'm a fellow short guy, so. <laughs> I know, I tower over him at 5'9". Flinny, I did, Flinny, I did a lot of scampering uh, around in the back there as a, as a rather diminutive center back. And, and by the way, it's always good to dummy the ball at the top of the 18 there. It's <laughs> it, was a, bold, uh, it was a bold play that worked out very badly. <laughs> very, very bold, in fact. So, uh, all right, so Crack, La Liga is back. Uh, you got to be happy. Talk about it. Yes, delighted. Um, for one thing, you know, I work with La Liga, obviously, and for the second reason is that I think it happens to be the best uh, domestic league in the world with the, with the best quality of football top to bottom. And I know that some people who will listen to this and think that I'm talking out of my rear end because Barcelona and Real Madrid are so, so dominant in that league. And it usually ends up being a two horse race. But if you look at everybody else um, below those two, these are teams with, with tremendous talents who can 
beat mid-table teams, if you look at the bottom teams in La Liga, I think they can beat uh, nine out of ten times most mid-table teams from most leagues. You know, interesting perspective. I like it. It's refreshing <laughs> here. You're the, uh, you're the La Liga guru. But, you know, we have this young Sam Griswold here on our panel. And Sam is uh, he's a Syria A guru. So we got to have a little guru off here. Sam, uh, what's, your, what's your take? Because you say Syria A is the league, man. Well, I, I like Serie A for its competitiveness. Um, I think it's very competitive, you know, top to bottom. But I, I can't say that the Spanish league has not been the best for the last I don't know, eight years now. I mean, when you look at Champions League and um, Europa League, um, I mean, I don't think there's any arguing with that. Um, sure. And, you know, the Premier League had their run last year, but that seems to have come to a pretty quick end. So, yeah, uh, and I'm here to represent the Premier League. So hold your horse. Yeah, well, oh, 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 just hold a, hold a second. Minute, wait, wait, though, Grail. <laughs> Grail, you are not a guru, though. You are, I am not. No, Sam no, I'm not. I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan. All right, go ahead. Give your, give your La Liga defense. I mean, your, uh, your Premier League. No, I, I, again, I think uh, similar to Crack's argument, which would probably be similar to uh, Sam's argument, is I just think top to bottom the best talent. And I feel like uh, in this day and age, most of the best players, uh, most, again, I'm not saying all, but most want to end up in the Premier League. That, 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 that to me seems like the ultimate destination right now. It doesn't mean forever, but right now, that's where uh, a lot of the money is, and that's where a lot of the players want to be going. Not, not right. to say that I don't like both of the other leagues, okay, to be fair. All right, so uh, La Liga got, you know, got started. Uh, crack, who are you more impressed with, Barcelona or Real Madrid this past weekend? I think Barcelona, because uh, throughout the 90 minutes, they, they just established their superiority over, let's be honest, a very humble opponent uh, in Mallorca who were – trying to stave off relegation and having a very tough time doing so. But worth noting that this is a team that, for the most part, is playing with the same guys that it played with when they came up from the Segunda B. So they have actually been promoted two consecutive uh, years. So that's impressive in itself. And they've been very unlucky. At home, they've been pretty good. They've actually beaten Real Madrid at the San Moish. Uh, but they just couldn't compete against a Barcelona who have right now and probably forever the best player in the world. And they're just playing in a very high gear considering the lengthy interruption that the entire world has gone through. Right. Sam? Yeah, what's it been like commentating on these games with no fans? I mean, it seems like everyone obviously says, like, it's weird and whatever. But, I mean, what, what's the atmosphere like? I mean, imagine you're in a studio to begin with, so you're removed. Then you have no fan noise. I mean, it's got to be kind of surreal, right? Well, we actually do have fan noise now because it's being pumped into the broadcast. So you can, oh, so you can hear that too. Right, so okay. we can hear it. But we, they ask us whether we want to hear it or not, and I've chosen to hear it because a few weeks back, my first game back was calling the Austrian Cup final between RB Salzburg, Jesse Marsh's team, and uh, Lustenau, which is a, a second division outfit, and it was just a cakewalk for, for Jesse Marsh. And because the game wasn't that competitive, uh, compounded with the fact that you had nobody in the stands, it made for a very boring game. Fortunately, I had Thomas Rungan with me, and Thomas Rungan uh, will come up with a variety of topics, particularly <laughs> tactical, that will keep any commentator uh, busy. So the crowd noise, to answer your question, even if it is fake crowd noise, does add a little bit of an environment. And it takes the onus away from the commentators who don't take center stage necessarily. That's the game. 
but become certainly become a lot more pronounced uh, and, and their words uh, magnified without any environment in the stadium. I know when Grail trains, uh, you know, outdoors, he pipes in <laughs> crowd music to just cheer him as he juggles yeah, the ball. they're chanting my name, just my <laughs> name. It's very, it's, uh, it really helps a lot. So, Crack, I've got kind of a two-part question. First of all, Barca has had so much, much dysfunction off the pitch or in the boardroom, whatever you want to say. Can you address that, A, and then as far as Real Madrid, Ramos, his contract is coming up. What are your feelings about his chances of uh, staying there or potentially moving on? Well, let me start with the easier one, which is the Ramos uh, question. He's not going anywhere. Okay. He's going to renew his, his contract. I mean, you saw in the game against Abar played at the Alfredo de Stefano Stadium, which is in Valdebebas, their training ground just how fit he is. And if you follow him on social media, I don't follow many professional players. I do follow him. He's got some decent content. And throughout this pandemic, he has been working out relentlessly. And you saw it against Abar, particularly in the goal that he scored, where he makes a 40-yard lung-busting run to get on the end of an Eden Hazard square, square ball. And even though he's, what, now 33, 34 years mm -hmm. old, he just looked fitter than everybody else. And I think that if you take that much care of yourself, um, like he does, if you are the consummate professional within, the, within the, the, the confines of the stadium and the training ground and outside of that, I think you have a long career. And his leadership is just instrumental to that team. You notice when he's not there, not just because he is one of the best center backs still in the world, but just the, 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 the confidence that he brings to the team. And so far as Barcelona is concerned, look, it, it's not that complicated, but it is complicated. It's not that complicated in that it's just utter mismanagement from Bartomeu, the, the current president, who is now finishing out his, his tenure. He, it ends in 2021, so he won't be up for, for re-election. And most of that mismanagement has been financial. You had the situation with Neymar leaving in 2017, which came out of nowhere, essentially. And then there was the reflexive move or moves of bringing in uh, Usman Dembele and Felipe Coutinho into the team, paying extravagant uh, uh, transfer fees, as well as adding on to that ridiculous wages. That's, you know, the, the reason they can't move these, these players on. So it, it's just been financial mismanagement for the most part, and he also has a very abrasive relationship with, with the players. And, and Messi, who has for the most part been a pretty quiet uh, individual, uh, has all of a sudden become very vocal, and I think uh, rightly so as the captain. And he hasn't been afraid to push back against the board, which has caused even more trouble uh, to Bartomeu, and has essentially created a rift between Bartomeu and his own allies a few of which have already resigned, one of, one of them being a, a, a candidate for the presidency, and he just doesn't want to be associated with Bartomeu. So uh, just a, a lot of dysfunction, mm -hmm. but I don't think it has really translated into poorer results on the field. Okay. So, uh, you know, there's so much fun to watch, and uh, especially the way you guys cover it. Uh, you, you work with Ray Hudson. We've had him on as a guest when we were at Sirius XMFC, Grail and, and myself. So uh, it's got to be fun, Crack, working with him in the, uh, in the booth, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've only called one game uh, with him. Uh, it was a Real Madrid-Valladolid, which was a little bit of a dud. But when you have his sort of passion 
energy, understanding of the game. Uh, he's overall, he's a bon vivant, right? And when you have right. that sort of personality in the booth, it's contagious, man. And he's the yeah. star of the show. So whatever you do as a play-by-play guy, you just cater to his energy. And I know he's a divisive character when it comes to uh, fans out there. There are a lot of people who don't like listening to, to his commentary, but I think he's just one of a kind. Absolutely. I think people you realize if people aren't talking about you, that's a problem. And what I love about it is, uh, you know, I always get uh, down on the English a little bit sometimes about how they've come over here and our style of play for so long as Americans were that English style. But love guys like Ray Hudson because he came over here and he's an American now. He sort of loves this country and and gives this this nice view with uh, the flowery, poetic words that he uses it's just a blast so uh, you know it's it must be nice to sit there and chuckle or just uh, say well wow what do i add you know yeah listen i think he just he adorns the game with his vocabulary and with his expressiveness (laughs) and i think that is that is that is a a wonderful addition especially when you're calling a real madrid Valladolid game which is offering you just a bunch of blanks (laughs) right and also so one of my friends said he goes you know is messy that good he was not a soccer person that, that he would deserve that sort of flowery language. I go, absolutely, he's that good. We're seeing a once in a lifetime talent. And I said, this guy noticed it almost before anybody else. So I, I think we just saw, uh, what was it yesterday? I saw somebody uh, tweeted out a training session goal by Messi, left footed, almost half field, curled it around the keeper who was off his line. I'm like, even the stuff that guy pulls off in training sessions you see are just, uh, just amazing. So. Ray Hudson celebrates this great talent and this great game. So I think, um, you know, it's happy to be there. So what's, what has been your path to get there, Crack, with, uh, you know, getting in the broadcast booth? Because you're, you're an American, you're a Portuguese-American, but, um, and you love this game. But it's, um, it's sort of an uphill battle sometimes getting your voice heard in this game, isn't it? Yeah, look, you know, I could bore you for hours about the unorthodox path that um, that I took to get where I am, which mm-hmm. makes me appreciate it, I, I think, a lot more. And in fact, I owe you guys uh, uh, a huge debt of gratitude because when very few people wanted to uh, give me opportunities, you actually gave me a, a, a platform to um, spew my footballing incoherence. So thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, crack, we're all about helping out the kids. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, look, you guys know I was I was a public school teacher for a very long time, and I used mm-hmm. to consume uh, unending hours of, of of football, of soccer. And and my brother once said to me, "Why don't you just start a blog or something?" And I did. And long story short, I started getting offers uh, to write articles for for different publications. Uh, from there, somebody reached out and asked me if I was interested in starting a podcast. I did. Uh, it didn't work out very well with that individual because once I recorded my first two podcasts, it, it just became a little bit of an addiction for me. And he was a little bit too, too loose with, with his approach. Um, I got t- two guys, uh, Jason Lemire, who, who you, you met, uh, Kevin, and recorded because yeah. you were one of our guests. He's now a, a, the managing editor at uh, MLSsoccer.com. So he's moved full time into soccer as well. I also had a co-host named Paul Farrell, and he's the uh, he's he works for Heavy.com, and that just took off. And from there, somebody heard it at BN Sports. They invited me in to, to for for a conversation, and things just started rolling from there. But it wasn't to be a broadcaster; it was to go into the production side, 
And uh, once I was in the production side, two things, I'm trying to make this really short because I know we have- oh, This is really interesting, Crack. It really is. This is uh, amazing. It just, it just so happened, you know, I had a lot of guests come on. I had Phil Shane would come on to my pod, Ian Joy, who at the time was uh, uh, with Fox, Kyle Martino, some players. So I was very fortunate in that way. And that got the pod some attention. A producer from BN Sports heard it, invited me. He said, I'd like to maybe bring you in to join our production team. Um, we did that. And what happened then was during the meetings, there was a, a, another senior producer. His name is Marco Miranda. And he was in charge of uh, BN Sports Canada. And one day he just approached me and he said, listen, I really like your, your soccer takes. I think you know what you're talking about. I think you have a good voice, which probably the only person who's ever said that to me in my entire life. Um, you have a great so face like, for radio, though. That was the old yeah, one, right? Yeah, yes. That's right. That's what it was. You're right. That's what it was. And he gave me an opportunity to, um, to host games. So come in, introduce what the game is in the Europa League. And then the commentators, you know, I throw it to the, to the commentators. Yeah. At the same time as that is happening, I was producing a Turkish uh, soccer highlight show um, for George D. Metellus, who is one of the, the anchors, one of the talents, as they call it, mm -hmm. um, on the show. And I did pretty much everything. Um, you know, I cut the highlights. I created the shot sheets for, for him so you could follow everything that was, was going on because obviously he's doing a lot of other shows. He can't devote the same amount of attention to it. And it just so happened that he had to take a quick vacation a couple of days. And usually they're very good about coordinating who replaces those people. And they realized that they'd forgotten to fit somebody into that show. So out of necessity, they said, look, you know this league better than anybody. Do you think that you can host a show? And I said, yeah. Absolutely. Hell yeah, man. Hell He's yeah. On camera, did that. When he came back, he, he said, look, I'd love to have him with me because... It's much better with two people. So he obviously opened that door for me. At the same time, Marco Miranda finally says to me, look, I've, I've given you this opportunity to host. I hear you doing the, the Turkish soccer highlight show with, with George. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to commentate together. And that's Clicked. the rest is history, man. It, they, you know, I owe it to, to be in sports to give me that, that opportunity. They moved me from production into, into, um, into game calling. Um, and it's just been, it's been an amazing, amazing ride. I'm very, very fortunate. So you haven't been doing it that long, but man, you, uh, you're ahead of a lot, so many that I've listened to. So, uh, good stuff. And that's, it's a great story. Plus, plus the guy who took the, the day off actually is back in the fold. Cause you don't want like a Lou Gehrig situation, you know, or like he, he, he gets hurt and uh, you play and he never plays again. So this is nice. The chemistry works. Grail, you had a question? Yeah, correct. So I, I listened to the uh, athletic Atletico match on uh, Sunday and I uh, thought you did a great job. And I'm not just telling you that as a fellow teammate, but uh, I'm just curious, what do you do uh, to prepare for like play by play versus color, kind of the nuance between those two roles? Um, and then also just uh, one of the things I really enjoyed was just kind of your, your, your voice in terms of getting excited at the appropriate times, but not overly excited for the sake of it. I'm just curious, like what goes, like who do you follow? What other commentators do you listen to? Who do you emulate? Just a little background on that. Well, as, as you know, and I've already said it, I watched a lot of, a lot of soccer in different languages. And, you know, I was born and raised in Portugal. And so the first 
thing that comes to mind when I think commentators are the ones that I grew up listening to, whose names I now forget, but that sort of seeps in, right? You it's soak in your DNA, in, yeah, man. Yeah, it's in your DNA. You soak it in in terms of, uh, in terms of the rhythm, the, uh, the pitch, everything. Uh, but I've been very fortunate because I've worked with uh, some of the people who I think are among the best, the very best commentators in the United States. So, you know, having the opportunity, I was pinching myself when I had the opportunity to, to do color for Phil Shane. And Phil Shane is, is an icon, you know, broadcasting yeah. Hall of Famer. I think he's got the greatest voice in the business. For him, it's it, it, the, the ease with which he finds the right word at the right moment is just awe-inspiring. So I learned a lot from, from him in terms of, of delivery. Uh, Kevin Egan, who is now the play-by-play um, announcer for Atlanta United, and he's a talking head at, at CNN, a good friend of mine, and also somebody who really pushed for me. You know, when, when, when he saw how serious I was about, about advancing in my career and what I wanted to do, this is a guy who became a, a pillar of, of support, not necessarily walking in the door and saying, you got to give this guy a chance, but, but certainly putting in a few, a few words, making sure that the, the bosses understood that this is something that I was interested in. And he, he, he's a very good play-by-play by guy. But one thing he said to me is, look, you're not the star of the show if you're play-by-play, right? Your role is to, is to tell a story, definitely don't get in the way of the game, and be generous to your co-commentator because your co-commentator – has the ability to explain what is happening to, to, not, to the audience in a way that perhaps you don't. So that always stuck with me. Dre Cordero, in terms of planning, um, it has been the most important because I've never seen anybody plan as, meticulous, as meticulously for anything as Dre Cordero, who is now the, the voice of Inter-Miami as well. He just, the work that he does, and I would see it as a color analyst because he, he is my most frequent partner because I started as a, a color analyst and I still do a lot of uh, a lot of color I did it this weekend with with uh, with Phil Shane and I wanted to emulate his workload just as a color analyst so that helped me as I've moved slowly as I've transitioned to play by play even though I still do both that I already had the basis for the work but I learned from him in terms of how to sparse out that work what to focus on so I've had great people uh, to, to learn from. And also somebody I have to absolutely uh, mention is, is Kay Murray. Because Kay Murray, you know, her versatility in anchoring different types of shows, the way that she prioritized different things, th- that for me was, was something that I certainly soaked in. That's nice, the, the mentoring part. Because in that broadcasting business, it's, it's rare sometimes for – you know, we talk, we have Bob Lee as a guest on this show all the time. And, and he always talks about the stand-up comedians that I'm with and we all kind of help each other. And he says, it wasn't that way in the broadcasting industry. Everybody was kind of on their own. So it's nice to hear that you're, uh, you know, that you're getting help and advice from other passionate people about this great game. Sam, you have a question? Uh, yeah, I think Grail had a follow-up. Yeah, first. yeah, Craig, just a quick follow-up. Well, you know, I think you having played the game and playing the game as a uh, play-by-play guy helps because you you don't get over you can anticipate what's going to happen therefore you get excited at the right points and not at the wrong points and that seems to be an issue with a lot of play-by-play people who just get excited as almost a crutch for not really knowing the sport what do you think yeah i think that's a that's a valid point look i think it's interesting because uh 
you know, it sounds like I'm gloating, but I'm not. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump on, on what you said. I've played this game for many years. I played in college. I played with you for for many years, and not necessarily at the highest level, but with some very good players. I actually played at the academy level in Portugal. I had really good formative uh, coaching. I dreamt of becoming a professional, and I think the 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 playing every day, understanding the the difficulties, uh, technical difficulties that or technique difficulties uh, that some moves, actually, let me rephrase that. The complexity of some, some moves, uh, the, way, the approach play, I think that became ingrained in me. So it certainly translates when I'm doing play-by-play. -play. I, I do feel like I have an ease in anticipating uh, what is going to happen. How it also helps me is when I'm doing play-by-play -play and I have somebody like a Thomas Rongen next to me who is an MLS Cup winning coach who was the first ever MLS manager of the year, who coached all sorts of youth levels with the U.S. national team, a guy who can very easily express um, tactical and technical uh, complexities. I feel like I, I have an ability to set him up, to, to, to make him look good, to make him explain things well. And I think it certainly helps that I played the game at somewhat of a, of a high level, for sure. Mm -hmm. See, I think that's only one piece of it, though, Eric, because, I mean, you have the, the broadcasting in your early development, in your DNA, as we mentioned earlier in the show, from maybe watching the games in Portugal and seeing the flow of the game, endless, endless hours in your developmental years. But now you're an American, you've been here many years, um, you can sort of synthesize that. And I don't think it's necessarily playing at a high level, because we have players that have played at a high level that don't have that storytelling ability the pacing ability and I think it just it's like you just notice it when you when you hear it you're like ah this guy's kind of got it he's got the rhythm of the game he's not getting in the way he doesn't tell a long story when there's you know action happening and so I don't think playing is necessarily it but it's it's a combination of the ability to anticipate yeah. and know the game and then to tell a story and that takes a little bit of work sometimes yeah absolutely and I'll add another ingredient and this is going to come from left field but the fact that I I, I was a public school teacher for 13 years right uh that you, you know uh the the job that that I do now is a cakewalk compared to what I did as a public <laughs> school teacher and I yeah. and I loved it you know just for for people who know nothing about the business the when I was teaching, the, the average lifespan of a public school teacher was just over two years. I spent 13 years in the wow. business, 13 tire, uh, tiring years, and also working uh, with soccer on the side. And the ability to keep your students uh, engaged in the subject matter is something that you, you learn to do. And I think that mm -hmm. has to do with narratives. And, and so that certainly helped me as well. Yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of sisters who are teachers. And they're they're funny and they're storytellers and they, you know you got to command a class of 40 kids it's uh it can be difficult so sure. i think you're right people talk to me about stand-up comedy i'm like no stand up in front of a, a a classroom full of kids who could you know not want to be there for the most part sometimes and it's like you got to keep their uh, attention so that was that's an interesting point sam you had a question um yeah i'm, I'm curious eric uh, you, you've done some commentary in portuguese as well um and i'm wondering if and how you change your approach when you're speaking to a Portuguese audience uh, versus an American English speaking audience? Well, curiously, I was doing Portuguese commentary for a Brazilian uh, audience. Um, so the zone, which is one of the big broadcasters now, 
um, they reached out to me because they, they, um, they bought a lot of rights to a lot of leagues to broadcast in Brazil. And what they found was that they, they got so much, so many properties that they didn't have enough commentators uh, in, in, in Florida, in South Florida, to, um, to basically call all these games. So they asked me to come in. They gave me, they gave me a test. And I said, look, I, you know, I speak Portuguese, Portuguese, and not Brazilian Portuguese, which is uh, pretty different. Uh, and, uh, and they said, okay, well, well, let's see how it goes. And to be honest with you, Sam, it, I didn't really approach it very differently from the way I approach it in, in, in English. Um, same, pace, same pace, same rhythm, but it actually helped me become a better play-by-play -play, uh, commentator in the English language because it gave me more experience because as I said earlier, I was do doing mostly color and I was actually terrified to be in a booth because I did the games in Portuguese alone. So I was terrified uh, to call those games by myself. The fact that I was thrown into that role and was having to rediscover my Portuguese, which I don't speak every day to a Brazilian audience was oh, wow. certainly a, a, a learning experience. And the Brazilian audience actually let me know on Twitter. I bet, I, I bet. <laughs> Portuguese. But interestingly enough, most of the comments were very positive. Uh, nice. People said, I like listening to this Portuguese guy. And one of the, the people who actually commented on my commentary was Kaká, who, uh, who wow. I've never heard of this guy, but I'm, in, but I'm enjoying this Portuguese guy's commentary. And I'll tell you what, nothing has given me more of a confidence <laughs> injection than that. Yeah. Damn, that should be, man. That's a, that's a hell of a compliment, man. Kaká. So, Sam? I just had one more yes, question um, to, I guess, follow up a little bit on this. You've mentioned, um, you know, covering, uh, you know, games in Austria, Portugal, Turkey, and, you know, France, I guess we could also say is sort of in that second tier level of leagues. So I'm wondering what you make of the future for these leagues as sort of the rich continue to get richer and the gap between, you know, these leagues continues to grow and, and also what, you know, what we're missing in, you know, the, the majority of us who don't watch these leagues. I'm sure there's some good soccer out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I also do the Copa Libertadores in Sudamericana and in South America. That's something that I've had to learn on the fly. Look, you know, this is, that's a very interesting topic uh, and one that I've, that I've tweeted about a lot. I think that we're moving towards uh, a European Super League. I think the pandemic probably pushed us even more in, in, in that direction, even though there's an effort, I think, to try and solidify all the other clubs financially so that that doesn't happen. But I just think that the biggest clubs in Europe, the Real Madrid's, the Barcelona's, the Manchester United's, uh, they want essentially to dominate uh, the game and get all that TV rights revenue. The other leagues have a lot to offer. You look at the Turkish Super League right now and they have probably the most exciting title race because they've got four teams involved in that title race and only one of them is a perennial powerhouse. It's Galatasaray. They lost this weekend, lost their goalkeeper for the season, Muslera, the Uruguayan. The other three teams are Trabzonspor, Basakshi here, and Sivaspor. Sivaspor should be trying to stave off relegation. So you can find great football in other leagues, but unfortunately we've reached a point in, in, in our viewership where there only seems to be an interest in the bigger teams because – it seems like it's not only the football that matters, but also the personalities who play those games. 
And so as the game becomes more star-studded, it is stealing the attention from, from the smaller teams in the, bigger, in the bigger leagues, as well as the smaller leagues that have a lot to offer, like the Eredivivi, the, the, the Dutch uh, league, uh, like the Portuguese Primeira, who, which has wonderful players who usually use the Portuguese league as a stepping stone to the top five leagues. So I think that unfortunately we have created a, a narrative uh, for the game, particularly in this, in this country, in the United States, where it's so much about the stars that it is, um, that is it's drawing our attention from, from what is a lot of good football in a lot of other nations. You know, you could say that about the NBA as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's a fair point. You know what, I gotta give him his props. Sam, we always laugh about this. Eric does the bilingual thing correctly, where I always give, you know, certain people hard times where like, uh, the United States is playing Mexico. It's like, all right, you can speak Spanish. We understand that. You seem to meld them pretty easily. I like that. I got to tell you a quick Portuguese story before we, we, uh, we sign off here, but um, I got dogs barking too. Um, quiet. Um, so this is my Portuguese story. I'm working the Cosmos soccer camp. Pele is coming on Saturday. So I asked one of my friends, Brazilian friends, how do you say Pele, welcome to my country? So I rehearse it all week. Pele, welcome to my country, Pele, welcome to my country. So we're all lined up. I'm the only American in the line. And all the Brazilian guys are there. Pele comes down, he's shaking everybody's hand. And he gets to me, and I shake his hand, smile at him, look at him, and I say, Pele, puta que perigo. <laughs> Which means your mother's a prostitute or something like that. And he looks at my face. Levi, oh, Levi, the dog's killing me here on this COVID studio we have here. So he looks at me and like, and all the other guys start laughing and he looks at me and I'm smiling at him and he goes, oh, my friend, you, know, you need to learn Portuguese. So I'm so embarrassed and I sit down and then he starts doing a demonstration and he starts doing a demonstration and he points to me and goes, my American friend, come here. So I got to do a demonstration with Pele. We're doing, you know, back and forth juggling. Made my made my day. So being an idiot actually helped me. <laughs> Grail? Yeah, correct. The most pressing question of all. Has Thomas Rongan ever invited you to go clothes shopping with him? <laughs> yeah, that red blazer. He's got a ton no, of great clothes. I, I wish I wish he would, but I'll tell you a, a, a short anecdote. Uh, I love the fact that he wears those otherworldly uh, outfits. Space they, outfits. They yeah. fit his personality because he's got he's got a, an eclectic personality, is one way to put it. Yeah. A few weeks ago, I had the stylist from BN Sports. Um, Mima Aubert, she came over, she had called me up and said, can I come over to, to your house? I got some clothes for you. So we were talking outside and she brought these floral patterns and, you know, these crazy shirts for me. <laughs> and she tried to convince me to wear them. And she said, you, you have such a great personality, but your clothes are so boring. She said in the most polite of ways on the shows. So we want you to wear, wear these. And I think she's trying to wronganize me. Uh, no! and, every time, and every time I do wear them, she sends me a message. She's very proud. Uh, she'll send me a, a picture. And my fiance, uh, Adriana, she's a big fan of Mima's uh, a choice in clothes because she always tries to do an, a little IG story to, to support her now. <laughs> nice, I wear them. nice stuff. Well, Eric, 
you're doing a great job. Sky's the limit for you with your broadcasting career. Uh, we really enjoyed having you on Over the Ball. He's at Bean Sports USA, uh, and we call him our La Liga guru. And also the Portuguese got all the soccer. But now you know everything. You're, you're starting to all that information going into your cranium. It's unbelievable. Uh, we uh, appreciate you joining us on OTP, Eric. Uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you very much for having me, guys. This has been fun. Wow, that was uh, that was interesting. A star is born, gentlemen, huh? In the broadcasting field of soccer. I just can't wait to see his new wardrobe. Now that he's got a wardrobe director who apparently thinks that he's dull and boring on the set, um, we I can't wait. We're going to see some kind of floral pattern, maybe next some, time. Some sort of uh, you know leisure suit with uh, you know high top sneakers or some kind of funky look. I guess. Yeah. Well, Rongen Rongen's got that funky look, so he, wow. maybe Eric I mean, will go yeah. for something else. That's an explosion of color on the set, what Thomas Rongen's on the set. So it would be impossible for Eric to uh, compete with him. I do miss being sports who, who had Serie up until, um, I guess, this past year, two years ago with ESPN+. Plus. Um, I, I like their overall coverage of the game. I think they do a really good job. I know a lot of good people in there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Crack's doing a game, I think, this afternoon. Um, he's doing one of the two games i'm not sure which so definitely listen to it. he's he's great doing play by play yeah. i'm so happy for him well, yeah, so, so, so one thing we, we didn't mention with with crack was the um you know because it's being sports is involved actually but the, the whole newcastle controversy in saudi arabia sam what's your update on that yeah well i mean it's unclear whether this bid from uh saudi arabia or mostly from saudi arabia um public investment fund is going to go through um, mm -hmm. However, I thought this was pretty interesting. This morning, I just read that um, an American, a guy named Henry Maurice, who's a television executive for a company called Clear TV, which I think does all those TVs in airports and stuff, mm -hmm. um, has made a, a bid for 350 million for Newcastle, which is actually uh, pounds, which is actually 50 million more than the price that's already been agreed. Um, essentially, I think what his plan is, is if the Saudi back bid gets, you know, denied by the Premier League, this guy would essentially swoop in. Um, so it looks like he's sort of banking on that happening. So um, I throw an extra 50 million away. I don't get it. Like, I think that's a good question. Why interesting. One pound more, you mean? So who do the, they, the price is right. Yeah. Who do they, so the country now, the national government has to approve it, right? Because the, at Newcastle, the owner has accepted the bid. Yeah, right the now, bid's the, been accepted as far as I the understand. The Premier League or the, or the nation has to I think it's up it. to the Premier League. Uh, Grail, you might itself. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my take. I don't think it's a yeah. governmental decision, although I can tell you that the government may have weighed in uh, behind yeah. closed doors, given their, you know, op opinions of some Saudi activities in the past. I, you I mean, like my, a, I mean like bone sawing? I mean, yeah. Into pieces? Yeah, I mean, my, yeah. my, my point of view is it's just going to be a potential – cloud hanging over that franchise for in perpetuity and every time the saudi government does something that's crazy because it's directly linked to them it's gonna it's gonna be a reflection on the the ownership so i, I don't know I, I just i think it's fraught with problems that's my yeah. take so i found right. this interesting i was doing a little bit of research into premier league owners and um it turns out sheffield united is fully owned by a saudi prince 
named uh, okay. Abdullah bin Musad bin Abdul Aziz, which I that's that was my stage that. name in my early acting uh, careers. Um, I've not heard much uproar about his ownership uh, at Sheffield, so I don't know. Well, Bin Salman has been the one who's been featured in the news so prominently with things yeah. that are going on. I mean, well, his because, relationship with uh, Kutcher and Trump and the whole Khashoggi, you know, in Washington Post controversy. So a lot of people have said that this is sort of his way of trying to reestablish uh, a reputation. It's sort of, what, what? As, yeah, as he's done in Mia Culpa, but, um, you know, basically trying to the PR himself through. Yeah. I also think it's the sovereign fund, right, Sam, which is directly linked back to MBS, whereas, you know, being an individual Saudi sheik with your own money, that to me is different, frankly. Yeah. I mean, he's a prince, though. So yes. Right, no, right. Right. But I'm yeah. just saying it's yeah. not, he's got his own money that he's putting up, you know, to essentially, you know, just kind of like the UAE put up their somebody within the UAE put it up their money to uh you know fund man city so i don't know it, it seems slightly different to me yeah. sheffield united versus man city but uh yeah my money is on this not happening my money is on this not happening so I I, we'll see we'll see and you know look uh we didn't bring this up with eric because it's his employer so uh yeah. part of it so um but it's it's pretty it's fraught with uh, landmines there so uh all right so uh, and by the way, I think both of you guys are princes, so uh, oh. on the team, but you're both prince of men. Well, you're a princess. Um, yeah. So, uh, hey, that's on PC these days, Grail. <laughs> our kids would be so mad. Oh, come on. You know what I used? I used the word, uh, uh, I got gypped the other day, and my daughter got all over me, and I said, why? And she said, well, that's gypsy, Dad, and that's aroma, and that's a derogatory. I was like, I didn't even know. So it's uh, good to have the young ones there to just sort of remind us constantly when we're saying things that are, that are in the wrong tense or whatever. I'm afraid so, to talk for the rest of the show. I know. Hey, so uh, one thing I thought was interesting, guys, with the MLS, uh, Kevin Durant takes a 5% stake in the Philadelphia Union with an opportunity to increase to 10%. What, what do you think about this, guys? I think it's great. I mean, I, you know, the NBA players have always been big soccer fans. You know, going back to the Kobe um, they've always liked, you know, LeBron has a stake in Liverpool. Um, I, I think they find uh, domestic and international soccer to be kind of sexy. And it's great for Durant, too, because Durant's got a big foundation, the Kevin Durant Charity Foundation. So he'll be able to do a lot of work in the Philly area. And again, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's great for the franchise and it's great for the league to have uh, guys yeah. like this. Yeah, I'd get that Kobe connection, that Kobe connection and then the Steve Nash connection with soccer. I think sure. he really brought the NBA along. We forget yeah. about that. I think this, the international soccer NBA connection makes a lot of sense. I mean, the NBA is, I, I would say, the most global of the American sure. sports leagues. Right. Um, so I think they overlap in a lot of ways. And I think this Definitely. Is, yeah, anything that brings attention to the game here uh, is good. Yeah, so I guess LeBron is uh, who is really outspoken with lots of things. So now LeBron, uh, Magic, James Harden, uh, they're all guys with with uh, financial interests. Yeah, and LeBron with Liverpool. I mean, talk about having an investment. A good call. That, that was a good investment by LeBron. That's Apple. That's Apple oh, stock, basically. God. Uh, you know, it just I always get a little mixed feelings because it's sort of like I can't wait till soccer is on the level where soccer players are investing in the NBA or you know in something it's just when we get to that level i mean we're always so enamored when professional what? sports athletes from other sports say oh soccer it's like yeah we're over here we're over here well actually though guys like gerard piquet are very invested in global companies there there are international players messi piquet and stuff that actually do 
invest in big companies. We just don't read as much about them. No, I'm, I'm just talking about yeah. domestically and our yeah. experiences as Americans where yep. I still feel like in many ways we're treated as a second, third tier sport where we are moving up. Things, the numbers are, you know, certainly we've lost some momentum with our youth and with our national team, but, uh, you know, Grail from where you and I have come with this game, watching it here in this country, it's, it's quite an improvement. So I'm just, I don't know, continued progress, I guess. Yeah, and MLS got it right, I think. I think Don Garber's done a really good job. I would cap it at 30 teams. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go above that. I think that's, uh, that's at the high end of teams. But I think the way the financial structure in, in MLS makes a lot of sense, and yeah, I, I think it's good. Well, you know, the financial structure of MLS, and the one, uh, some of the negative that I've heard about it is that the teams paying to get in at a later date now are paying much more than the earlier teams did, right? So is this, they're sort of saying it's a, is it, but that's market, guy. that's, that, that's market value. I mean, that's so what market value, but are you saying is, is that money, uh, is it worth it? Uh, because the TV contracts aren't so big, the numbers aren't that big. Uh, is it, is the sport able to sustain those prices? Yeah, well, uh, to me, it's like, it's like any league where, you know, an, N, an NFL franchise that was worth 500 million 20 years ago is worth, you know, 3 billion. I mean, it's just, it's the way the market goes. And the point of the, you know, the cost of entry is going to be more expensive when, as the league becomes more successful, that, that's just the way it is. There's more demand. So, and that's a good thing. So, you know, 25 years ago, if you were paying X, you're going to be paying exponentially more for that. Now it's just, it's, it's just the mar what the market is driving. So it's a good, okay. to me, it's a po it's a positive, uh, you, you know, you just have to come up with more money to get a foot in the door, but that's the way it is with NHL, NBA. You know, you look at what they've played, what Steve Ballmer paid for the LA Clippers. I think he paid two or 3 billion, you know, they were worth maybe, a tenth of that 20 years ago. So, right. All right, guys. So, uh, anything else, Sam? You've already given us a quiz. Yeah, I got a little more, though. Yeah, I got more. I want to really make so sure I get, get this in. Um, so, we're talking with Eric about some of the lesser watched and followed leagues um, around the world earlier. Um, so, my mm -hmm. question this week is two part question, uh, part one, which is the last club not from the Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, or La Liga? to win the Champions League? The last club. And what were you, give me those teams again, Seb. The last club is not from the Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, or La Liga. La Liga. Wow, where were that? That's a good question, man. Uh, I'm going to go with some obscure team. Yeah, what do you got, some Turkish team? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm Greece. I'm gonna go with Panathinaikos. I, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> throwing something out there. Uh, I have no idea. I'm flipping the cards on this one. What, what do you got, Sam? All right, it was Porto in 2000, oh. 2004, coached by Mourinho. Mourinho. Yes. Oh, yes. So, I should, I should have known that. You I'm know who that from my memory bank. You know who would have known that? You know who would have known that? Krakauer, yeah, Eric Krakauer would have known that. Of course, he would have known background. that. And this, so, uh, I don't think you guys will get, so I'll just tell you. But the uh, the same question applied to the Europa League or the UEFA Cup um, is also Porto, uh, back in 2010, 2011, coached by Andre uh, Villas Boas. So, ah. see, so, so that softens Porto, the Mourinho blow. That softens the Mourinho blow for you guys. So, Man. all right, anything else, fellas, before we get going here? No. All set. 
Yeah. Let's go leagues. Come on. This all is right, great. So some big soccer today. Going to, going to uh, be watching that all day. Uh, Over the wall brought to you by soccer America. Go to soccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the pro membership. Show is also brought to you by Ticket IQ. It's the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere. All right, I'd like to thank all our guests. One guy, Eric Krakauer, uh, the rising star over being sports, and uh, my co-tro hosts. What do you call you? Try hosts. My co-hosts. There's two of you: uh, Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. For the guys and myself, here, we'll talk to you next time on OTB.